Well, if you got your Bibles, I hope you do. Uh, find your way over to the Old Testament book of Deuteronomy. Uh, yes, that is a real word, and it is found in the Bible. So, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. It's the fifth book of the Bible uh, that you'll find if, uh, if you just need to start from the beginning and, and head that way. And in a few minutes, I'm going to read a particular passage out of chapter 6. Uh, but before that, read a couple of other passages as well. This morning, I, I want to talk about the idea uh, that touches uh, so many of our lives, and that is about parenting in the real world. Uh, not the idea of what it looks like to parent if you're in a sitcom uh, or you're in a Hallmark movie where you got 28 and a half minutes for everything to work out quickly or you know that there's a resolution coming at the end of the story in Hope Valley, you know, for everybody involved. Uh, but parenting as it is like right here where we are, and, and for some of you, this is not necessarily going to be a, a message about parenting. Maybe it's going to be a message about grandparenting, or maybe it's going to be about the message of how is it that you, uh, how you interact with nieces and nephews, or uh, for some of you that are young that you don't have kids yet, maybe this is going to be a, a preparatory kind of message about what is it going to be like one of these days when you, when you do have little people of your own running around. Uh, when I kind of survey the landscape of the Bible, uh, thinking about the idea of parenting, uh, there is a principle that, that just seems to be inescapable, and that is, in the family, leadership falls squarely on the shoulders of parents. But in the real world, where it is that we operate as parents, whether you have very small children or whether your children are grown and they have children, uh, the reality is, as parents, when we've got these little people in our homes that we're trying to help raise into adult people, uh, there is a default that it's like somebody, somebody's going to be in charge in this household. And you, as the parent, have to make the decision as to whether or not you're going to be in charge or the small people are going to be in charge. Because as we all know, the small people are going to be in charge as quick as they possibly can. I mean, they're going to grab the reins if you let go for but a second. But the Scripture is, I think, relatively clear, and even out of our own experiences, we know that it is a better thing for these little human beings that we as parents help guide them along the way. In fact, uh, there's a, a couple of places in the New Testament that speak to this idea. In the book of Ephesians and in the book of Colossians, two different places in the letters that Paul writes, he has some very brief, you know, kind of encouragements for parents that he specifically addresses to fathers, but I, I think that it's equally applicable to moms and dads. In Ephesians chapter 6, verse 4, he says, Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. And then in the book of Colossians chapter 3, verse 21, he says again to fathers, do not exasperate your children so that they won't become discouraged. You know, there's something uh, very plain in the, in the passage in Ephesians, and I think something that is inherent in the passage in Colossians, that it is parenting uh, done from the adult to the children, that we're supposed to be in charge of these things, uh, of these issues of life. 
but that sometimes, you know, we can overreach, and so we have to be, we have to take care with, with these precious people that are put under our charge. So this morning, I want to give you, I think, three biblical ideas that will help all of us, whether it is that you are actively parenting kids right now, whether it is that you are contributing to the raising of children as a grandparent, an aunt, or an uncle, or whether you are someone who doesn't have kids of your own, but you think one of these days I'm going to, this might help set the stage a little bit for you. And so let me begin with, I think, a resetting perhaps of priorities for some people. And, And number one, I would just say that your number one priority is to make a disciple. You know, when you think about what it means to parent uh, a child or a, uh, a, a teenager or even as you are perhaps still parenting uh, your kids that are, are crossing the threshold into adulthood, you know, there are all sorts of priorities that are on our minds. We want them to be uh, upstanding members of society. We want them to make good choices. Uh, we want them to not offend our friends at dinner. Uh, we want them to not talk back. We want them to one day be financially independent, uh, specifically financially independent of us as parents. But all of these things have to fall underneath what is the number one priority that we have as Christians of anybody that we encounter. Our number one priority as believers and followers of Jesus Christ is not just to help people in their moral behavior. Our number one goal as believers is to help other people become believers and help other people be followers of Christ. And that is most emphasized with the children that we actually raise. Now, I ask you to turn with me to Deuteronomy chapter 6, for a really specific reason. Uh, In this particular chapter, there is the declaration of faith. It is one of the earliest uh, summaries of faith that the Jewish people had that was counter to all of the culture. They actually had a, there's actually a Hebrew word for this declaration. It's called the Shema. If you ever, if you have a Jewish friend, if you ever hear them refer to something that is called the Shema, it is, it is the basis of all of their faith. And and it's included here in Deuteronomy chapter 6. Let me begin in verse 4, and the Shema is is summarized right here in verse 4. It says, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. It it is this idea that there's only one God. And in a culture uh, of ancient years, many, many years ago, when God delivered the Word and the law through Moses, uh, there were cultures that believed in a multitude of gods. This has persisted all through history, that if there are things out there, there's got to be a bunch of them out there. But they were exclusively a monotheistic. They were a one-God religion. And he said, listen, Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then let me read verses 5 through 9 as incredibly important for how we parent our children. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These words that I'm giving you today are to be in your heart. Repeat them to your children. Talk about them when you sit in your house and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, and when you get up. 
bind them as a sign on your hand and let them be a symbol on your forehead. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your city gates. You know, on the, right on the heels of God delivering this foundational idea of faith to the Israelite nation, he immediately pivots and says, now teach this to your children. Now, at, the, you know, at any point in any of the law that God gives to Moses to give to the, to the Hebrew people, he could have said, and now go teach this to your kids. But this is the spot. This is the place. It is this foundational statement of faith. The Lord, our God, that, that, that this is a personal covenant here, this one God, this one true God that is there, you're supposed to love him with the totality of your being. You're supposed to have this written on your heart. And he says, now teach this to your children. And he tells them to teach it to their children everywhere they go. He says, talk about it when you're in your house. Talk about it while you're walking down the road. Talk about it when you lie down at nighttime. Talk about it when you're getting up in the morning time. It, it, again, it's this all-encompassing idea that this is what you prioritize in, in your relationship and in your conversations with your kids, that we are discipling our kids everywhere and at all times, that there's not a circumstance you're going to find yourself in in your house, or on the road, in the evening, or in the morning. At all of these times and in all of these places, you have opportunity to, to thrust into the life of your children the truth of who God is. There is no greater work that a parent can do than introduce their kiddo to God. I mean, there are all sorts of great things that we can do for our kids. We can teach them all sorts of skills for life. We can help them excel as students in school. Uh, you know, we can teach them how to be nice people and treat the neighbors well, and they, we can teach them how to do all of this stuff. But the greatest thing that a parent can do is introduce their child to their creator, introduce them to the relationship that they can have with the Savior. And it will require upon us as parents that we understand the, the will and the ways of God, that we understand the nature and the character of God. It requires upon us that we will know God's Word if we're going to introduce our kids to God, because there is nothing that could potentially be more important. Because if you just want your kids to be nice, well, society will thank you but they are going to be hung up in eternity not knowing God and being separated from Him. If you just want to keep, teach your kids how to be economically responsible and successful, well, the U.S. economy will say, thanks, thumbs up for you, but in eternity, what does it really matter? God, the God of the universe, the creator of all things, wants to know your child on a personal level just as you know Christ on a personal level. So make this your number one goal in life. Now the church comes along, and, and the church can serve as a partner, but the church can never serve as a surrogate. And so this is not a drop your kids off and we will fix them. And yes, I heard a couple of chuckles and even moans in that. But that is a real thing that sometimes we fall into that trap and that temptation. I know that this is the truth because that actually happened to me. 
The very first church where I served in like a real official capacity in ministry is I was a youth minister. I know it's an incredibly frightening, you know, kind of thought to have. I was a youth minister at a church in my hometown of Birmingham, Alabama. And I was part-time. I was going, uh, I, I, at the time I was going in, I was in college. And, and this church hired a 20-year-old to be in charge of all the teenagers. Like, I had just been a teenager. And like, I was supposed to take them to Panama City on beach retreats. Like, this is a, the most ridiculous scenario of all time. And so here I was, 21 year, 20 years old, serving as the youth minister uh, of this church, and, and uh, my hand to the heavens, uh, the actual name of the church was Boyles Baptist Church. But not like boils on your skin, like it was named after like Reverend B-O-Y-L-E-S, but it was an, in, an incredibly appropriate name. Um, and so on a Wednesday afternoon, Aaron, maybe this has happened to you. Aaron is our student pastor and really good at it, like way better at it than I ever was, which don't be too impressed because that is a very low threshold to get over, okay? <laughs> but you're great, and yeah. So I, I'm sitting in my office on a Wednesday afternoon getting ready for the Wednesday night activities, and, and I had four boys that were in our youth group that we had had a Disciple Now weekend, you know, where you have the kids up at the church, and then some of you volunteer your homes for the kids to spend the night in. And I'd had some of my friends run one of our discipleship weekends, and one of my buddies had nicknamed these four boys the Four Horsemen of the Apocalypse. I mean, okay, so this was my youth group, all right? 20 years old, this, I, and I was trying to stave off the apocalypse that we see in the book of Revelation from these four kids. And one of the moms of one of those four boys came to the church office, knocked on the door of my office. I'm studying, trying to get ready for the Bible study that night, walks in and starts just to just bare her soul to this 20-year-old about her 16-year-old and how he's just off the rails and I don't know what to do with him and his life is just a mess and, and, and her, you know, her, her husband and she, you know, they were just at their wits end and she looked at me in all of my 20-year-oldness and she said, I need you to fix my kid. <laughs> to which I thought, I don't know how to fix me. <laughs> and, and so, like, I get it. It's hard as a parent. And sometimes your kids rebel in such a way that you don't know what to do. But, uh, but we as a church family, wanna, we want to encourage you to not give in to that temptation to say, well, I'm just going to let the church be the surrogate disciplers of my kids, I can back off and they're going to fix them. They're Bible study leaders and our volunteer, our adult volunteers and all of our young adults that spend time with our kids and, and, and especially that Aaron Pilant, and, and when I say that, I mean E. Aaron Pilant is going to, no, I, A.A. Ron, I'm just kidding, you, you know. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna expect him to fix our kids. And, and, and the same is true. We can't expect the same from the children's ministry, just like you would not expect that of any ministry, is that the church is here to be your partner, and we want to stand alongside of you in the disciple-making process of your child, but we can't fix 
in the four or five hours a week that we are in contact with your kid, what the world does to it the rest of the time, that you're like living with this person. And so we want to encourage you that to take on this role, for you to prioritize it in your mind and in your heart, that the greatest thing that I can do for my child is that I can help to make them into a disciple of Jesus, that I can help them to become a follower of Jesus. Because your goal in parenting is not to raise a nice kid. It it is to produce a disciple of Jesus who is then going to be a missionary in the world. I mean, which… I mean, in the balance of things, which of these things do you really want to do? Do you just want to raise somebody who is just nice? Or do you want to raise somebody who is a world-changing disciple of Jesus Christ? And you can do that if that will be your priority. And which leads me to numbers two and three. Number two is that in order for part of this is that you lead children toward holiness. Now, I'm just going to tell you, this is, this is a really nice way, this is a really nice sermonic way to say and instill discipline in your child. But I wanted to try to state it in a more positive manner rather than, than say something like, make your kids stop acting so bad because kids are the worst. I mean, they, they, think about it. Kids are the worst possible roommate you're ever going to have. They eat all your food. They don't clean up after themselves. You're constantly doing laundry for them. I mean, these are the worst roommates you could have ever inherited. But rather than just stating everything from the negative, the Bible is really clear about who kids are and what we can do in their lives. And as a matter of fact, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say about how we discipline our kids. Uh, In Proverbs chapter 22, verse 15, you might jot that down, it says, folly is bound up in the heart of a child, but the rod of discipline will drive it far from him. Now, whenever you see in the Old Testament this idea of the rod of discipline, this is not a license all right, this is not go out and find a stick in your backyard. You know, it's not go to Lowe's and buy a wooden dowel, you know, that you're going to beat your kiddo with. Yeah, this is an image about the discipline that we instill into our children's lives. And a lot of times we rush uh, as parents because of our frustration with bad behavior on the part of our kids to the rod of discipline part of these verses, and we forget the first half that we need to really pay attention to. Let me read this first phrase again. Folly is bound up in the heart of a child. I mean, we are born sinful. We are born broken. And so it is bound up in your child. It is part of who he or she is And so their kids, they do not know the difference between right and wrong. They don't know it until you instill it into their lives. And so with our kids, we should discipline rebellion, but we should also celebrate holiness. And if you find yourself as a parent constantly at an emotional fever pitch when they do something wrong and that's what they hear all the time is like a screaming banshee about what they did wrong. But then when they display godly character, 
when they are kind, when they are Christ-like, that that just kind of sloughs off and, and nothing's ever said about it, and you kind of have the mentality of, well, why? well, that's just what's expected. Well, here's the deal. Children imitate what you as a parent celebrate, right? Whatever it is that you get super excited about, children rush to that behavior because they crave attention. I mean, we wonder why some children never report abuse in their home. And let me just say, if you find yourself in a place where you feel where you see abuse or you know that you are abusing, you need to seek help immediately for, this, for that child. But even children in abusive homes will still crave the attention of their parents because it is within the heart of a child to want love and attention and affection from moms and dads. And so you've got to decide what is it that we're going to celebrate in this household? What is it that we're going to get all exercised about? And so I do want to say, as you are going to lead your children toward holiness, especially those of you who might have really, really small ones, you know, toddlers up through, you know, elementary age kids, and that is be in charge. All right, now, like I said earlier, joking around, somebody's going to be in charge of your house, okay? And by default, you're in charge of the house until you passively decide not to be in charge. And then, by golly, it doesn't matter how small your kid is, then he or she's going to be in charge. And so just make the decision that you're going to start early or you're going to start now, but whatever you do, don't wait any longer because you're bigger, you're smarter. You know, you can be in charge of these kiddos. Proverbs chapter 23 tells us to not withhold discipline from a child. And again, there's a place at which our English language fails us just a little bit because discipline is not just the, the stoppage of bad behavior. It is the instilling of principles of how to live, how to walk before our God, how to relate to other people. So discipline is not just stop being bad, little boy. Stop being bad, little girl. Discipline is helping a child to understand what life is supposed to look like. And so I want to encourage you to correct children with grace in mind. This is, again, if we were to look at these passages in the New Testament of Ephesians 6 and Colossians 3, it tells fathers, don't stir up anger in your children and don't exasperate your children. It is possible. I've done it as a dad where I disciplined in such a way as it it agitated my children. It, it exasperated them. It didn't get the positive effect. All I did was crush their souls. And so we're not called as dads just to be loud, just to be manly, just to crush them underneath our boot, to crush their will so that they'll know who's in charge. We're not supposed to stir up that kind of anger and bitterness and exasperation in them. We're to guide them about how to lead a holy life, to prepare them for being holy. And then thirdly, I want to encourage you to parent from an attitude of reconciliation. As human beings, we are on a constant journey through life of reconciliation. This is a core 
about all of our relationships, and most specifically, this is the core of our relationship with God, is that we are constantly on a journey of reconciliation. In Christ, we have been reconciled to God. Christ has died on the cross in our place for our sins. He has physically died, gone into the grave, and physically risen from the dead, showing that He has defeated the cost of the sin upon our lives. And that if we will, by faith, trust in Christ for our forgiveness, then we will be saved and will inherit eternal life. As the core of what our relationship with God is all about, is that in Christ, God is reconciling us to himself. That's how the Scripture puts it. And so you, as a parent, can model and can imitate for your children what it is going to look like to be reconciled to God by constantly parenting with an attitude of reconciliation, of constantly trying to bring your child closer and closer to your heart. If that will be the orientation, then you will model for them the eternal reality of our relationship with God. And you will find that you will raise not just an adult, but that you will raise a friend. That you'll raise somebody that you can be related to for the rest of your life. But if your goal is to constantly crush their will so that they will stop doing dumb stuff well then eventually you're going to create an enemy who really doesn't like you and that only remembers you for all of the yelling that you did. And so we have to operate from a, from a model of reconciliation, and, but that takes into account that when God reconciles us to himself, that sin had to be punished, that, that payment had to be made. So it doesn't just excuse that there's sin and evil and bad behavior, but instead it deals with it in a reconciling, grace-filled kind of fashion. And so in every stage, we as parents need to help kids understand what a gospel-centered and gospel-focused relationship means. And so our relationship with them is one where brokenness is constantly replaced with grace and forgiveness and mercy, because our kids are going to be soul-broken. They're broken with sin, just like we are. And so we want to replace that brokenness with the message of grace and mercy and forgiveness that they find in Christ. Our kids are going to get their hearts broken by the world. They're going to be bullied on a playground. They're going to be rejected by the cool kids. They're going to miss the game-winning shot. They're not going to make the grade that they wanted to. They're going to fail in some kind of way. They're going to get fired from some, you know, minimum wage job. They're, they're, going, to, they're going to be broken. They're going to face sorrow and lament, and they're going to face all the stuff that the world is going to pile on top of them. They're going to face brokenness. And so we need to be the parents that, that guide them from the attitude of reconciliation. Because just as the Scripture is clear, God disciplines us for our good, so we should do the same with our kiddos. That we are guiding them and disciplining them and discipling them for their good. God forgives us for the sake of a relationship with Him. And we should do the same with our kids, not just tolerating our kids' presence in our lives, but desiring our kids' presence in our lives. Not just putting up with it until they can be out on their own, but like constantly finding that way where you can come back home to each other. Now, uh, 
in my notes this morning, uh, I had all of this other thing that I was going to tell you. I'm going to save it, though. I'm gonna, we're, we'll put it online. But, I, but for those of you that are parents or grandparents or you're interested in some practical applications, uh, what we'll do is I've got 10 just kind of practical application ideas that we're going to put online this week that I, I encourage you to go to the, the Facebook uh, profile of the church, and, and we'll put those up so that you'll see those. Uh, but I, I just want to bring it to a close here because our orientation toward parenting ought to, well, it, it's not that it ought to, it does. It reveals something about our own heart. It reveals something about our own heart toward, you know, what kind of relationship we have probably with the Father in heaven, not just an earthly parent, but with the Father in heaven. If you have in your mind the portrait that, that the Father in heaven is actually kind of an ogre, that he's just waiting to zap you when you do something wrong, then that's probably what you're going to emulate with your kids. But if you really have, you know, embraced the, the biblical portrait that God is the loving Father, that Christ is this great shepherd, that the Holy Spirit is this present comforter of our souls, then that's how we ought to pivot around and look toward our kids. And so, as a parent, if you're here today and you're thinking, I, that, that's, that is not what I've done. Well, today is a day that you can say to the God of heaven, hey, I, I want to follow after the heart of the Father, the way that I relate to my children. Even if your kids are grown and they've given you grandkids or maybe great-grandkids, make sure that this is, the, this is the, the foundation of how it is that our homes operate because we've got this great opportunity to help these young people grow into those that love and follow after the Christ who saves our souls. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you.